Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Keith, and I'm one of the pastors today. And uh, Alex lit this pink candle, which in church tradition, uh, we looked at hope, and this week we're going to look at the topic of joy. And this is just kind of an old church tradition, um, so our hearts uh, can remember and prepare for Christmas, and we can remember and prepare for Christ's second coming. And so we're going to look at the topic of joy. And can I be honest? The holiday season isn't 100% always joyful. It can be really stressful, too. Uh, Maybe you want to travel more. Uh, Maybe you want to go see your family. Maybe you want to buy nice gifts. Uh, But you look at your bank account, and you're like, can't do that. Can't afford it. Uh, Maybe you come from a broken family, and when you go home or you're around family, the holidays are just that reminder. Your childhood was painful, and everything is still broken. Uh, Maybe gathering with all these family and friends just leads to more conflict. It's not joyful. I think one of the reasons we lose our joy over the holidays is because we don't understand the gift of Christmas. So one of the ways we try to find joy in the holiday season is through traditions, nostalgia, the eggnog, the Christmas movies, the fireplace, the skiing, the ice skating, right? And that's what we're doing as a church. This is the Advent tradition to draw our hearts to remember and prepare. And one of the joys now of being a parent is I get to pass on all these family traditions to my kids. And so one of the things me and my kids love to do are watch holiday movies. Uh, We love The Grinch. We love Elf. We love Charlie Brown. But my kid's favorite movie now is Home Alone 1 and 2. All right? Not going to lie. Those are probably the best ones. And we just watched Home Alone 2, and it was so fun to watch with my little kids. Like, they're on the edge of their seat. Like, it's scary, suspenseful. And then every time one of the bad guys gets hit by, like, the paint can, they're, like, jumping up. They're excited. And the most joyful part for my kids, though, was at the end of Home Alone 2, where all the family has to go to New York City, and there's no presents, right? They had to leave. But Mr. Duncan, the store owner, because um, Kevin saved his store, uh, he packs out this hotel room with toys, and my kids are sitting there, and they see all the, tr- the presents under the tree, and they literally jumped up, and they're like looking at each other, high-fiving each other, and they're like, no way, Dad, all those Christmas presents were free? And I'm like, that's right. And guys, this is Christmas. It's a free gift. It's God with us. It's the mystery of salvation that's been revealed to us that we receive by faith. And I love what Alex read. Jesus said, I came that your joy wouldn't be halfway, wouldn't be partway, but that it would be full. But just like any gift, you have to open it to enjoy it. So before we get into the rest of my sermon, I would love if you guys would pray with me for our time. Jesus, we come together and we pray that you would show us what real joy is. Lord, there are many people in here who don't have joy. I pray you'd show us why. And I pray you'd show us that there's a new and better way to have a joyful life. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you minister to us, uh, that your word would come to life. You'd encourage us, you'd challenge us, you'd bring new life. Uh, We love you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so my first point this morning, we're going to look at the origin of joy. And you know what's kind of fun as a parent? One of the most fascinating things about babies is they quickly learn to smile and laugh. And they have this emotion of joy. I don't think they even understand it, but they'll just look at you and they'll laugh and they'll smile. It just melts your heart as a parent. And I was doing some research on this. Did you know that it takes 72 muscles to frown 
but it only takes 14 muscles to smile. It's like we were built as humans for joy. But sadly, when you look around the world, we have this competing emotion, this competing spiritual disposition. And I think the primary emotion that people experience in this life is probably fear. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Again, it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with what? Great fear. Isn't it interesting that their very first response to these angels and this light from heaven was fear? And whenever you read the Bible and people come close to God, the first thing that they experience is fear. They're terrified. Why is that? And I think this is why. The reason they're scared is because light reveals things. Uh, uh, we bought this house when we moved to Greeley, and it has an unfinished basement. And so back in April, before we we're going to have our kid, I'm like, let's finish this basement before our kid gets here so our kids can have more bedrooms. And the baby was born in June, and guess what? I'm still trying to finish it, all right? Uh, for those of you who have tried to finish a basement, uh, it's kind of like sin. It takes you, it costs more than you ever could have imagined. It's harder, you know, it's worse for you than you ever could imagine. You're in pain. It's just, it's really hard, right? Uh, well, one of the things that we recently got to do was we put in these LED lights, and it's a really dark basement. And then we, we you know, followed the cable all the way back to another outlet in the house, and we, we connected it to power, and we turned the lights on, and there was light. We like had a lighting ceremony at our house. It was amazing, right? And, but one of the things that the light revealed was that the paint job in the closet is like really, really bad. It looks like a two-year-old did, all right? But it's me and my wife, but it looks really bad. And so light reveals flaws. And so this light in the story, God's light, God's truth shows how great he is. But this light shows that we're not God. This light shows that we're frail we're sinful, we're flawed, and we're weak when we compare ourselves to God. And this is why humans naturally don't like to be vulnerable, because vulnerability reminds us how frail we are, how weak we are, how insufficient we are. And I think humans are really naive. Most people uh, I run into in America, when you talk about death, they're like, yeah, whatever. I'm not really scared of dying, whatever. But then when people get close to death, what happens to them? Like, they're screaming, they're crying. Uh, there, there's stories where most soldiers who are about to die cry out to their mothers. It's the saddest, craziest thing. And when there's famine or sickness or disease, we see that people are absolutely terrified of death when they look it in the face. But guys, it wasn't always like this. I want to look at the origin of joy and then the origin of fear. Now, before sin, Scripture says Adam and Eve had no fear of death, they didn't fear failure, and they had never-ending joy, like the angel said, fear not, behold. See, Adam and Eve were able to behold the glory of the Lord. There was no division between God and man. They got to see God clearly. They, they got to understand. This is what it means to behold the glory of the Lord. It means they were able to take it in, to see, to understand, to taste and experience the person and the presence of God. But as the story goes, sin entered into the timeline of humanity, and sin is based on this lie. So fear comes from lies, this little lie. If you want real joy, you need to become a modern person. You need to move past God and move past religion. 
You don't need God to tell you what's right or wrong. You don't need God to be a joyful uh, person. All those rules, man, you need to get rid of them and then you'll be happy. But as the story goes, when Adam and Eve sinned, all of humanity became like a fish out of water. Now all of humanity is choking on the lies of sin. And this is why we're dying. We've been separated from God. And now life is just a shadow of what it's supposed to be. Happiness is fleeting. Poverty is always after us. Addictions become our coping mechanisms in life. We have broken relationships. There's war, diseases, and all these things are nipping at our heels. And now we live in a world that's ruled by fear. And ultimately, all fear comes from the simple fact that sin separates us from God. And now this world is a dangerous place because God is not at the center of our lives. But the story of Christmas is this. Jesus looked down from heaven to earth and he said, I will destroy what gives them fear. I will destroy sin and lies with the truth of the gospel. I'll remove the fear of death through my incarnation and then my resurrection. And I will break what separates God and man. And I will give them true joy. So how does God give us true joy? First of all, by drawing near to us. Let's look at Luke 1, 44 through 45. Backstory, uh, Elizabeth is this older woman. She has this miracle conception in a sense. And John the Baptist is in her womb. This is Jesus's uh, half cousin. It says this, See, she's talking to Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then she said, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I want you guys to notice a baby in the womb leapt for joy. John the Baptist in the womb, Jesus's half cousin, but he knows Jesus is near. He knows in that moment he's in the presence of God and what's his response? Joy. Jesus brings us near to God. Emmanuel means God is with us. Jesus gives us life. It's like he takes the fish that's out of the water and he puts them back in the water. And Jesus puts us back into a right relationship with God and it brings us joy. See, in the Old Testament stories, when the glory of the Lord, the presence of God would come down from heaven to the tabernacle and the temple, the people had joy. They had awe. They were refreshed. They were blessed. Why? Because God was near. Uh, this is verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It says this. I you to picture the scene. This would be incredible. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped. And they praised the Lord saying, he is good. His faithful love endures forever. They saw and they were able to behold the person in the presence of God. And then you fast forward to the book of John. I love the language. It's the same. In John chapter one, in the Greek, it says, Jesus came and tabernacled among us, or he came to dwell among us. He came to be with us. And I just watched this silly superhero movie called The Blue Beetle. It was okay. I thought it was pretty good. And it's a story about this poor Hispanic kid He's in Miami, and he has this really tight, close-knit family. And then he falls in love with this Brazilian girl who's a billionaire, and he gets to go to her mansion. And I love what he says. He's like, dude, you got to grow up in this house, and you are rich. I bet that was so 
amazing. I bet your childhood was better than my childhood. And I love what she says. She says, no, my house was filled with stuff, but it was lonely. I was lonely. But your house was filled with family. Your house is filled with love. I wish I had what you had. And this is Jesus. He came to be with us, to love us so that we could draw near to God and enjoy his presence so that we could have joy, so that we could have joy. And sadly, though, I think many Christians don't know how to enjoy the glory and the presence of God, which is going to lead to my second point. Jesus came not to give us halfway joy, but he came to give us fullness of joy. Let's look at John 15, 11. It says this, these things I have spoken that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is Jesus's joy? He knows the Father. What does sin do? We don't know God. Okay, sin is this too. We replace God with things. We take the greatest joy, a relationship with God, and we exchange it and trade it for lesser joys. And it reminds me of what actor Jim Carrey said. He said this, I wish everyone could just get rich and famous so they would know it won't make them happy. That's the lie that we believe. And see, the lie is this, if we just get more things, we get right circumstances, then I'll be happy. And so the world's definition of joy is happiness. Happiness says my joy depends on what happens. Happiness is based on what happens. It's circumstantial. And as a result, this is why people have the fear of failure. Why? If I fail, I won't be happy anymore. This is why people have the fear of making decisions and we're paralyzed. We don't know what to do because if you make the wrong decision, you're going to miss out and you're not going to have joy. You won't be happy. This is why people have the fear of rejection. We're terrified by it because if we lose the approval of other people, we won't be happy. And so if happiness is up to us and we're weak, frail humans and we live in a broken world, joy will always be fleeting. You'll have it one moment, it'll be gone the next. See, the shepherds were afraid because the light revealed they were humans. They were weak. They weren't God. But I love how the story goes. The angels say, fear not. Isn't that good news? Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so the reason we have fear, the reason we don't have joy is because we fail to behold the good news. Do you see that? That's where all fear comes from. Now, I like to think of it like this. Like if I think a McDonald's chicken sandwich is better than a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich with that Chick-fil-A sauce, honestly, I'm going to be a pretty sad person, right? But if I get to behold a spicy chicken sandwich in my hand and enjoy it, I don't even care that the driveline in Greeley is like 38 miles long. I don't even care. I'm going to wait. I'm going to behold it. Uh, it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to enjoy it because it's way better than a McDonald's chicken sandwich, okay? And similarly, Jesus comes to give us a new definition of joy. Where the world says happiness is based on what happens to you, Jesus now says joy is based on what happened to you and what will happen to you. Do you see the difference? Think about it. What happened when you believed in Jesus? What happened? You were forgiven. All your sin gone. You were reconciled to God. You were right with God. You were considered righteous and valuable to God. You were born again. You were filled with the Spirit because Jesus shed his blood for you on the cross. He purchased you 
and you belong to God, you get God. That's what happened to you. And what will happen to you as a Christian? He will come back. He will gather the nations before him and with wisdom and justice, he'll reign. And we will reign by our father's side forever. And what awaits us? Oh, look out. (laughs) And what awaits us is so good. Paul says it's impossible to describe that even if you use your wildest imagination of how good it's going to be when Christ returns, it pales in comparison to how good it's actually going to be. And what awaits us is so good, you guys. We need to behold it. And the reality is we all behold something. We all gaze at something. See, I love the mountains. I grew up in this mountain town of Wyoming, and as a result, I love things like hiking and skiing and hunting. And when I'm in the mountains and I see the glaciers and the cool air and the trees and the snow line, I just sit, I behold, I take it in. And honestly, it gives me joy, but it gives me only halfway joy. You ever go do something amazing and then you leave, but you're still just long for more? It didn't quite satisfy you the way you wanted it to. That's how Christmas can feel. When the season's over, you're like, ah, man, I hyped it up. Honestly, it wasn't that great, right? It can happen, even when you go to the mountains. But this is why everyone's moving to Colorado, right? I run into everybody. I just ran into a lady from Laos. And I was like, why'd you guys move to Greeley? Oh, we just love the mountains. Yeah, that's awesome. Me too, right? But they're drawn to beauty. And most people say, I love Colorado. It's just way better than the flatland that I came from, right? And the reality is if you came from like Nebraska or Iowa or the Midwest, like there's no joy there. You don't even get halfway joy. Um, There's no mountains there. It's It's an extremely depressing place to live. So at least when you move to Colorado, you get halfway joy, okay? But it's just halfway. You're still half empty, right? Why halfway joy? Because people are enjoying the art and not the artist. And that's where Christmas can be a disappointment because we behold the gifts, but not the gift giver. We enjoy the creation, but not the creator. It would be like, imagine I get deployed, I'm in the army, I'm gone for nine months and I'm drawing my wife beautiful pictures of me and the scenery where I'm at. And I come home and I'm so excited to see my wife. And I'm like, let's go hang out and go on a date. And my wife's like, no, I just want to look at your pictures. I just want to sit here and just look at the pictures. Honestly, I would be upset. I'd probably grab those pictures and rip them up and be like, baby, I've been gone nine months. Let's go have some fun, move past my gifts and enjoy the gift giver, right? And I know that sounds crazy, But this is why humans walk away with half joy. They're fighting to get all these things, all these gifts, and they have this thought, if I just get more and I fight for them, I'll be happy. And then get these things, and they're still sad, and they're just like a fish that's still out of water. So you know what's one of the best things the Lord does to us as a good father? He gives and he takes away. Job chapter one, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Why? He doesn't want you to have halfway joy. He's like, put down the phone, put down the toys, put down the art, and come and experience a real joy. This is why over and over again, the Bible says, rejoice in suffering and in trials. Why? It becomes an opportunity not to know happiness as the world defines it, but it's an opportunity to experience joy from the Lord. Think about it though. How can this be? I can have joy and pain 
together at the same time? That makes no sense. How does this work? Well, I was studying this word joy in Greek, and for starters, the Greek word for joy, it's kara, and this is what a commentary said. It said, it's a deep, abiding, inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ, according to John 15, 11. It doesn't depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control over all things. And another interesting uh, synonym that you can use this word kara for in Greek, it means joy, but it also means lamp. It's this idea that it's this joy that overflows and it lights and darkness can't put out the light. Darkness can't stop, about, stop it. I want you guys to think about this. Of all the people in human history who've ever lived, Jesus was the most joyful human to ever walk on planet Earth. Most joyful human. But you know what else the Bible says about him? He was a man of great sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. The Bible even says he wasn't even a good-looking guy. He's not like this attractive Hispanic guy like the TV show The Chosen shows him, right? That's not what Jesus looked like. Isaiah 53 says, you wouldn't even know. And the things that happened to him were so bad, you would cover your eyes and look away. He was a man of sorrow and grief, and yet the happiest man of all time. So our definition of joy must somehow correspond to that, that joy is something very deep and profound, something that affects our entire personality. See, worldly happiness it's not biblical. Happiness in the world is based on success and good fortune. And this is why worldly happiness cannot satisfy you completely. Think about it. If you went up to a fish out of the water and it's sitting there flopping on the shore and you went up to him and were like, hey, little guy, I got you the tastiest fly ever. He's not going to care. He's going to be like, get me back in the water. I'm dying. And the truth is our souls thirst for God. I heard this testimony this week, perfect timing, as I was preaching on this, and it was a testimony of a former NFL athlete, and he's like one of the top 10 highest paid athletes of all time. And he said, I want you to imagine this. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but just imagine. He said this, imagine you have 100 of the nicest cars and you have nowhere to go. Imagine you live in the largest mansion in your city, but you feel lonely because you're going through a divorce and your wife gets the kid all alone in a giant house. Imagine you just bought a $25,000 bed, but you can't even sleep at night. You imagine that? Imagine you have all the food in the world and the best chefs, but it doesn't even taste good to you anymore. And this man who had it all, he was suicidal, but this depression drove him to find something that would satisfy his heart. And I love how he shared the story. It says he got down on his knees and he cried out to God to surrender his life to Jesus, to do things God's way and not his way. And what happened is so cool. It reminds me of the stories of the shepherd. This guy's down on his knees and all of a sudden he said he felt the presence of God come near to him. And you know what his first reaction was? Fear. He was so terrified and he felt so sinful that he said this, God, just kill me. Just take me. I'm unworthy. I can't even be in your presence. I just want to die right now, God. But then something changed. The fear started to give way to joy as he started to understand the good news that God loves him with a fatherly love. And he sent Jesus Christ to die for his sins, to reconcile 
him to God. And in that moment, as he surrendered his life to Jesus, he said, I felt joy and satisfaction for the very first time. And for the very first time, I felt like I finally had a purpose in life. And so Jesus came, you guys, that our joy might be full, that our joy can't be taken away from us, even in the midst of a broken world mixed with grief and pain and aging and suffering and back pain or whatever it is, you can still have joy. Now, how does this work practically? Which leads to my third point, cultivating joy. Let's look at John 16, 21 through 22. It says this, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Let's look at Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what we can gather from these verses, you guys, joy is a battle. Joy can be painful. Yes, it's a gift that's free, that's given to us, but it takes hard work to behold and enjoy this good news, the good news of the gospel. And I love the word cultivate. And it's important because Paul tells us that joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means we do the hard work to abide in Jesus, but Jesus is the one who ultimately gives us the fruit. But we have to abide in him, put him first, make him Lord and Savior. And I think the problem with our culture, we don't make room for Jesus. We don't put him first. We're like the ancient world. Mary and Joseph showed up to Bethlehem. She's about to have a baby. They go to the end. Can you imagine the creator of the universe shows up at your inn and you say, I know it's cold outside. We don't have room for you here. Why don't you go out with the animals? Why don't you go out with the stables? There's some straw out there. And the reality is we do this in our hearts. We do this in our mind. We say, Jesus, the best room in my heart and in my mind is all my stuff. It's all the things I do. You, you can go off to the side though, Jesus. I'll be, a, I'll be a halfway Christian. You stay out there. And this is why people have more fear than joy. And the heart of the gospel message is we must continually, every day, repent and believe. Repent and believe. We need to repent of trying to find joy in things. You can enjoy these gifts from the Lord, but they're not the source of joy in your life. It's just a gift from the Lord. So joy is not a thing. Joy is a person. And when we behold him, when we taste him, when we experience him, like Paul the Apostle says, we'll say, man, everything in this world I count as rubbish. I'm pretty sure in Greek, it's, that's, that's a swear word, is what Paul's saying. He's like, it's, it's crap compared to how great Jesus is. Know that in your heart, church. All right, let's look at these verses. It says, her hour has come. Now, if you're a husband or you're a mother, now, you know when the hours come. They're like, uh-oh, it's here. We got to go, right? Uh, it's terrifying, right? I've been in the delivery room four times now, and it's extremely traumatic. It's scary, right? Uh, the anesthesiologist always walks in, and they're like, ma'am, do you want an epidural? 
And I'm over there, I'm like, hey, actually I do. <laughs> like, can you just hook me up to that thing? I don't wanna feel any pain. This is really traumatic for me. I'm about to see my wife get really injured. Can you just hook me up, all right? And they're like, sorry, we can't do that, sir. I'm like, dang it. And guys, the pain that comes to a woman in childbirth, they say it's the worst pain that a human being can experience. Uh, guys, to think of it uh, in a guy term, it's probably like the equivalent of like sitting through a Hallmark movie or doing like 100 push-ups, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, Mythbusters had a TV show that said women have a much higher pain tolerance than men. And they found that this actually isn't a myth. It's true because women have this amazing body that releases chemicals so they can endure pain at a way higher threshold than men. So guys, this is something we can never do. Uh, these women are amazing who bring all new life into the world. And I love what it says. The baby comes and she remembers her pain no more. Isn't that amazing? But here's the reality. You ask any woman who just gave birth, it's still painful. Their body is still jacked up, but it doesn't matter because you get to behold new life. And the joy of the new life overrides the intense pain that just jacked up your body. And this is Christmas, church. We behold Jesus, the one who remembers our sins no more. And of course he remembers them because his hands and his feet are scarred forever as evidence that he suffered for us, but he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. He sees the new life and it gives him joy, Jesus joy. And then he shares this joy with us. And so we have this good news, church, really good news. And the reality is I think we really only have two choices. When life gets hard, are you going to ponder or are you going to panic? Think about that. Those are our two choices. Are you going to ponder or are you going to panic? Fear and joy are really just the difference between one thought, one decision. And fear says God's not good. God doesn't love you. God's not for you. God's not in control. God's not good. But joy says God is always good. He's always sovereign. He's always with you. He loves you more than you could ever dream of. That's what joy says. And so one of the problems and why Christians are always walking around with fear and leading out of fear and are afraid of the world, they're afraid of their shadow, they're afraid of rejection, they're afraid of failure, is because we don't take the time to ponder. We just numb ourselves with all the things of the world. But when we really ponder and we believe in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes, and our mind explodes, and our heart explodes with the truth, we see that no matter what happens in this life, we don't have to fear failure, because we're victorious in Jesus. And we don't have to fear rejection, because no matter what happens, you are accepted by the highest king. You're accepted by the only opinion that really is going to matter in the end. And guys, we don't have to fear or be paralyzed by making decisions, because Jesus gives us grace, and we learn and we grow, and God's always moving us towards glory. He's always moving his people to life. And guys, we don't fear missing out, because one day in his courts are better than a thousand elsewhere. And so some of the ways we cultivate joy, we're kind of like a farmer. Honestly, not popular. We have to do a lot of hard work. See, we know bad things are going to happen. You're going to lose much in this life. We know there's going to be pains and trials and suffering and rejection and setback. But in that moment, church, we have to fight. We can't just isolate 
and just give in to bad thoughts. And so I have nine biblical ways to cultivate joy. I'm just going to read through these pretty quick. Uh, if you have notes on your phone, this would be great, okay? These are things that we can actually do to cultivate joy. Number one, like I said, repent daily. Fight sin. Luke 15, 7, Luke 15, 10 says, if you do this, you'll find joy. Number two, we have to get our absolute assurance of future glory. Do you have assurance that everything's going to work out in the end? Like John preached on last week, do you have this living hope? If you do, you'll have joy. Number three, we have to pour through the Lord's word. Read the Bible daily, know it, meditate on it. John 15, 11 says that. You'll have joy. Number four, we have to pray. We talk to God. He hears us and answers us. We pray alone, we pray with others. And when we do it, it gives us joy. We're connecting, we're talking to our dad. Number five, when things get tough, we have to go to fellowship we got to get around the brothers and the sisters. And the presence and fellowship of believers brings us joy, according to 1 John 1, 3 through 4. Uh, a couple weeks ago, man, I had some of the hardest conflict in a while. I was discouraged. I felt hopeless. I was depressed. I met up with Garrett and Jorgen and some of these guys, and Zach got there in the morning. And I just shared my heart. Guys, I'm kind of heartbroken this morning. I'm in a lot of pain. Will you guys just pray with me? And you know what's crazy? I left that meeting, and I felt hope. Even though I was hurting, I still felt joy. And that happened because I was vulnerable with the brothers. All right, next, converts bring joy. There's so many verses on this, but 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20 says this, that when we live on mission and we see new life happening around us, it brings us joy. I think a lot of churches don't have joy because they don't live on mission. They never see a soul saved. You're like, When's, how many baptisms do you have this year? They're like, about seven years ago, we had a baptism, you know, and you're like, man, there's no new life at this church. But guys, if we will live on mission and we will share the gospel with others, and when people come to faith, it's one of the greatest joys you'll ever experience. Uh, next is maturing disciples will bring joy. Hearing that those you have mentored and discipled and are walking in the truth brings joy. This is what 3 John uh, verse 4 says. And guys, this is why we invest in what matters the most. Uh, think about it. When your investments in life are doing well, most of you probably don't have investments, right? You're not even 30 yet, but still working on, you know, all the debt, right? But if you have an investment and you see it's actually doing really good, it kind of can bring you joy, right? You're like, all right, man, sweet. I can retire someday, maybe, right? Uh, now imagine how much more when you invest in people, eternal human beings, and you see them walking in the truth and they're fighting sin and they're having victory. Imagine how much more joy that will bring you. And guys, last is giving. I love what the Bible says. God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And if God's the most joyful uh, creature in all of the universe and he gave, man, we, we can't not be generous. But when we understand generosity, we're going to have joy. One of the problems is though we're ruled by fear and we just feel like we can't be generous. We're like, if I'm generous... God's not good. He's not going to provide for me. I have to be selfish. And God says, no, be like Jesus. It will bring you joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for joy. And I pray for everyone in here, God, that we could have a real uppercase joy. 
Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't live for worldly happiness. That's just a bunch of chemicals that are here one moment and gone the next. But I pray, Lord, that we would have a deep abiding joy in you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.